Chemical Watch podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Hello and welcome to this week's news podcast hosted by members of the Chemical Watch team. I'm Kate Lowe, Global Managing Editor at Chemical Watch, and for today's episode, I am joined by our Emerging Markets Reporter, Ginger Harvey, North America Managing Editor, Terry Highland, and Europe Correspondent, Clelia Oziel. The subjects we'll be discussing today include changes proposed by the US Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, to its hazard communication standards to conform with the seventh revised edition of the UN's globally harmonized system of classification and labeling of chemicals. We'll also be taking a look at the publication by Chile of a decree to implement the UN's GHS, create a national inventory of industrial chemicals, and establish a method for risk evaluation of priority substances in the country's official journal. But first, let's start with a proposal from 25 UK industry groups that calls on the UK government to drop its requirement for duplicate data sets of all chemicals under UK reach and to adopt instead a new approach that prioritizes substances of most concern. The problem that the industry groups are grappling with stems from the refusal of the European Commission during the Brexit trade negotiations to grant the UK access to the EU REACH database due to the UK's stance against regulatory alignment on which access was conditional. The consequence is that UK REACH would require tens of thousands of substances in the EU REACH database to be re-registered with full data dossiers, which industry estimates will cost uh, around a billion, a billion pounds. So Clelia, can you just talk us through the alternative solution that these 25 industry bodies are calling for? Yes, hi Kate. Um, so they're saying that rather than asking companies to provide the data sets on all of the substances that might be registered under REACH and that have already been registered under EU REACH, and let's not forget that industry has spent already a huge amount of money to acquire this data over many years, they're saying that the UK agency should ask only when it has a particular concern about a substance from a domestic perspective. There are um, 25,000 substances registered with ECHA, and most of them are not harmful. Things like carbon, for example. Um, the data exists for all of these substances. And the UK industry is saying, let's not waste our money and effort to repeat what's been done already, and let's just concentrate on the ones that matter for the UK and that are potentially harmful. Of course, the problem here is UK reach, just like EU reach, is based on the principle of no data, no market. So it is difficult for the government to agree to something that might compromise this principle, which really is the raison d'etre of REACH and the environmental protections it gives. 
So, um, but the government would also need the, the data to be able to monitor and evaluate what's harmful and what's not. So how do you know what is harmful if you don't have the data in the first place? But, but the industry is effectively arguing about the degree of that data. They say that there is a lot of information on chemicals that is publicly available, and that should be sufficient uh, for the UK to decide whether to investigate something or not. Um, I should also stress that some NGOs are strongly against this idea. Chemical ChemTrust, for example, um, is a big opponent. It calls it deregulation. They have accused the industry with all sorts of things, like wanting to roll back on chemical regulations. They do want the UK to have access to ECHA's data, but only as a result of full alignment on REACH. In other words, they don't want to settle for anything less than REACH alignment. I would also like to add that this industry proposal is something that was first developed by the British Coatings Federation, which is a downstream sector organization. The sectors, uh, the, the stakes are very high for them, um, uh, but they also did a great job to rally support from other sectors. So the industry looks united on this. They had people, for example, from the defense and food sectors um, signing the proposal. OK, thanks very much, Clelia. Um, now, the proposal was discussed uh, at a meeting of the Chemicals EU exit group on uh, the 15th of February. So are you able to shed any light on that discussion and possible outcomes? Yes. Um, so the meeting was yesterday and several ministers and industry representatives were in attendance. The short answer to your question is that there was no straight yes or no answer. However, we understand from various people we talked to that the government acknowledged the huge scale of the challenge and did not reject the proposal out of hand or refuse further discussions. Industry says this is a positive sign, uh, but whether a path will be found to resolution really remains to be seen. Certainly, these discussions will continue over the next few months and this group of industry and ministers will meet again in mid-April, we understand. Um, but the first big date deadline in terms of UK reach data is the end of October, so there is still some time. Okay, thanks Clelia. So what are the likely next steps? You know, is, is there any hope at all that the UK government could still clinch some kind of agreement with the EU on, on data in return for alignment? Well, unfortunately, as one industry person said to me just today, that ship has sailed. The EU does not want to engage in alignment talks unless the UK is part of the single market and accepts all the structures that come with it, including the ECJ, the European Court of Justice. Now, this is a very clear red line for the UK It's it, because it's the whole purpose of Brexit. So it will not go there um, and accept alignment on, on those conditions. That said, certainly the NGOs are hoping for a compromise in the future. Could the EU relax those conditions, for example? Could there be a new UK government that accepts those conditions? Or can something be found in the chemicals annex that was agreed as part of the trade deal that could help with some of those concerns around data? 
all those things remain to be seen. We must also remember that there is a huge political element here that plays a part. Can the UK government or members of the Conservative Party sacrifice sovereignty to save the chemicals industry, for example? But for now, the industry is trying to deal with the problem right here, right now. The legislation that has been put in place, UK REACH, says they need that data, and that's why they have put this proposal forward. Okay, thanks so much, Clelia. So now let's turn to North America, where the US Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, has proposed changes to its hazard communication standard to conform with the seventh revised edition of the UN's globally harmonized system of classification and labeling of chemicals. The US last made significant update, updates to its hazard communication standard in 2012 and currently follows GHS-3. The process to transition to GHS-7 has seen several delays, so OSHA initially slated the standard for an update in the autumn of 2014, but has steadily pushed the date back since then. So Terry, can you tell us exactly what changes OSHA is now proposing to make to the hazard communication standard? Hi Kate, thanks. Yeah, so as you said, the US is finally starting the process to conform its hazard communication standard with GHS-7. And the HESCOM standard, just very quickly, it's just what it sounds like. It provides or communicates information on the potential hazards of chemicals used in a workplace. Uh, it requires chemical manufacturers to classify the hazards of chemicals they produce or import, and employers also have to provide a hazard communication program covering labels or other warnings, safety data sheets, and training for employees about hazardous chemicals that they could be exposed to. And as you said, Kate, it's been a while since 2012 that the U.S. HASCOM standard has been significantly revised. And even here, OSHA said the proposed changes wouldn't alter the fundamental structure of the current HCS, but it does include a number of changes, including adding classification categories for aerosols, uh, desensitized explosives and flammable gases, uh, it would update certain hazard and precautionary statements to try to make them more clear and more precise on exactly what the hazards are. Uh, it includes revised label provisions for small containers and the relabeling of chemicals that have been released for shipment. Uh, there's also some technical amendments to the content requirements for safety data sheets. Those are the, the sheets that provide information on chemicals and their hazards, as well as uh, new provisions relating to concentrations being claimed as trade secrets. And under the proposal, there would be a one-year transition period for companies to comply with the new standard once it is finalized. Okay, thanks, Terry. So how does OSHA's uh, proposed rule tie in with the latest developments in, Can in Canada in this area? Yeah, well, earlier this year, a regulatory cooperation council between the two countries laid out a plan to coordinate efforts on implementing GHS and interpreting safety data sheets and labeling requirements. The, the US proposal then came out earlier this month. Canada put out its proposal also to conform to GHS-7 that came out in December, so just a couple months ago. Uh, Canada currently follows the fifth revised edition of GHS. Uh, 
And just like with the broader GHS, the idea with this cooperative plan was to reduce the regulatory differences um, between here, between the US and Canada, and make it easier for companies on both sides of the border to comply with a more unified standard for communicating hazards. And in its proposal, OSHA said many of the updates to the HCS align with Canada's hazardous products regulations, including using prescribed concentration ranges when claiming trade secrets, as well as changes to those labeling exemptions for small containers that I'd mentioned a while ago. And those proposed HCS changes, for example, uh, they would eliminate full labeling requirements for certain containers with a volume capacity of three milliliters or less with only the product identifier being required. The changes would also reduce labeling requirements for small containers with a volume capacity of 100 milliliters or less. Okay, thank you, Terry. So finally, um, just thinking about the global context, um, where will an update to GH7 leave the US and Canada in comparison to other jurisdictions around the world? Um, uh, are most moving to seven? Um, and what, what about GHS8, uh, which was published in 2019? Yeah, that's right. So uh, as you said, the GHS itself is updated every couple of years with the uh, GHS8 being the latest um, um, revision. Uh, OSHA has said, uh, you know, going as far back as 2019, that it was not proposing to align its changes with ghs uh, eight uh, at this point. And as you noted, Kate, it's it's been a long process just to get to, to this proposal to align, uh, to get alignment with the GHS-7. And at this point, several other countries either have aligned or are in the process of aligning their requirements with GHS-7. And that includes the EU, Australia, and New Zealand, uh, but in its proposal, OSHA did say that it welcomes any comments on whether it should also try to incorporate provisions of GHS-8 in the final version um, of the rule changes. And that comment period uh, actually started on 16th of February, and it runs for 60 days to about mid-April. So at that point, OSHA then will review the comments, uh, make any potential changes to the proposal, and then issue a final rule and that could still be several months off. And then, as I had noted, the proposal then includes that one-year transition period once it is finalized, but even that could change in the final version. Canada's proposal, for example, envisions a two-year transition. So for the next few years, at least, a lot of the movement is really towards alignment with GHS-7. Great, thanks very much, Terry. So let's turn now to our final topic for this week's podcast, um, and that is moves to establish chemicals management frameworks across Latin America, and in particular, Chile. Now, Ginger, um, in your Global Outlook report on developments for 2021 in Latin America, you said it is, a, it is safe to expect important progress for chemicals management frameworks in Latin America in 2021. Uh, what was less certain was which countries would finalise uh, these this year and when. But it appears we now have our answer with the publication by Chile of a decree to implement the UN's GHS, create a national inventory of industrial chemicals and establish a method for risk evaluation of priority substances in the country's official journal. 
So just to start with, Ginger, can you tell us uh, more about the details of Chile's plans? Hi, Kate. Uh, sure. Yes, you're right. Uh, of the Latin American countries, it looks like Chile has crossed the line first um, this year. But it's important to remember that this decree is mostly about implementing GHS. It's sort of a hybrid law in that as companies are complying with GHS's classification and labeling requirements, they will also need to notify the government of the substances they're producing or using in the country. Um, so it tacks on an inventory to that GHS implementation, but GHS is the focus. Now, the whole process for implementing GHS and the inventory will be done in stages beginning one year from the law's publication, um, which is when substances for industrial use will need to comply with the classification and labeling GHS requirements that the law sets out. Another notable thing about this law is that it applies to manufacturers and importers of hazardous substances and mixtures, regardless of whether they're intended for industrial use or for use in consumer products. So GHS is sometimes thought of as an industrial applications, but in Chile it will be used for chemicals and consumer products as well. Okay, thanks very much, Ginger. Now, at least five other countries in Latin America, uh, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico and Peru, are also developing chemicals regulations. So can you just tell us a little bit about um, the plans of each of those jurisdictions, you know, which which might also be expected to come through fruition this year? Sure. There is a lot of movement in the region, as you've said. Um, First, I guess I'll start with the caveat to say that it's really difficult to predict which countries might pass these laws and when, as we often don't have a lot of warning from the governments in advance on when they're going to make movement. Um, and the other thing is several of these bills are sort of politically tied up right now, either in the executive branch or in the legislature. So that adds a bit of unpredictability as well. That said, I would think that Colombia has a good chance of progressing this year. It published a decree for public consultation last year, and this is the, the latest of several iterations of this degree that has been discussed over the last several years. And last year, the Chemicals Industry Association of Colombia, Andy, and the government had several meetings about the decree, and most of the industry's suggestions were taken on board. So I don't think they will object anymore to the law being published. They've been sort of the main um, holdup. Uh, they've had some concerns about previous drafts. And so the government has redone the draft in order to make it more um, amenable to them. And this time it seems like they're, they're pretty happy with that. The other reason Colombia is more likely to progress faster than some of these other countries that I'll mention in a second is that what it has published is a decree which doesn't need to go through the legislature. Once it's approved by the executive power, it can just be published in the official journal uh, and then it goes into effect. That's the same thing that happened in Chile. And this is in contrast to some of the other countries' systems where they've published a, a bill which needs to be approved by Congress and go through a sort of long and arduous lawmaking process. And that's what's currently going on in Argentina and in Brazil. Both of these countries have been discussing bills which would establish chemicals inventories and prioritization schemes for risk assessment and management. 
for longer than Chile has been discussing their decree. And Argentina and Brazil, both of these bills have been ongoing for several years now, but they're kind of caught up in that lawmaking process. Uh, Argentina is currently with the executive branch. The executive branch of a new government is reviewing the latest draft of the bill right now, and it plans to make some changes and publish that sometime this year. Then again, it has to go through the legislature. And in Brazil, there's sort of an ongoing internal discussion um, between different stakeholders and different members of Congress about which of two drafts of the bill will be the one that Congress begins discussions on and starts editing. So both of these are, you know, there, there's movement, but they're not very likely to get passed this year, I don't think. Finally, um, you mentioned Mexico and Peru, and both of these are kind of wild cards in the region. Um, Peru's government circulated a draft law to stakeholders last year, but then the country's seen a lot of political instability towards the end of 2020. So I think it's pretty safe to say that that is not a priority right now and the bill's kind of on ice. And finally, Mexico's health authority had published this really ambitious proposal um, for a national chemicals policy and in it, it included a really ambitious proposal for a draft law, but the authority is already behind the timeline that it proposed and it's not being very forthcoming about its plans for the bill. As far as I know, I don't think any stakeholders have seen that draft law yet. So we're not really sure what the timeline will be like on that one. Okay, thanks very much, Ginger. Sure. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. Um, thank you again to Clelia, Ginger and Terry for sharing their insight into today's stories with us. And thank you to you, our audience, for listening to today's episode. If you would like to find out more about the topics from today's discussion, including the Global Outlook reports for 2021, please head over to the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. Until next week, goodbye. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. The Chemical Watch Podcast.